0: G'day everyone, I'm your mate Nate. Strap yourself in for your weekly dose of money, politics and truth. Together we look at high impact stories that you may have heard of but have never truly been told. From historic Kerry Packer tales to longer deep dives into the true origins of the welcome to country phenomenon. I'm your mate Nate and get ready to rethink the way you look at the world around you. In today's short Yarns episode, we look at some of the biggest tycoons from home and abroad. We cover the biggest casino tycoon in the world, our homegrown media tycoon, and an alpaca farmer turned mining billionaire. This is how an Aussie in the NFL changed the entire media landscape forever. Rupert Murdoch is known for going all-in on deals, but his heist of the NFL broadcasting rights in the early 90s is perhaps the best negotiation in media history. In 1993, unlike CBS, Fox wasn't worried about losing money on football. Murdoch boasted that he regarded the price of the NFL rights as the price of buying a network. But the deal wasn't going to be easy. The NFL had great relationships with the big boys, including CBS, the 38-year incumbent, which had a legendary on-air team, including John Madden. Murdoch had a clear strategy to win them over, though. The traditional networks were getting lazy in their coverage, they lacked innovation, their in-game analysis was basic, and they only covered the NFL for six months of the year. Rupert's proposal was to position the NFL as the crown jewel of Fox. Promoting it all year round, improving the camera coverage of every game, increasing the analysis time and increasing the nationwide coverage. He had David Hill from Sky Sports prepare a tape showing how they covered the soccer in the UK and the NFL were blown away. All that was left was to offer them a number that would get the deal over the line. That knockout number was $1.6 billion over four years. Stanley Ho was known as the king of casinos and is the world's OG casino tycoon. Stanley turned Macau from an impoverished island colony into a powerhouse that surpassed the annualized revenue of Las Vegas by the early 2000s. He began his career in Macau in the 1940s as a trader, importing and exporting goods between Macau and other parts of China. He was ambitious and aggressive in his business and saw the endless potential on the island. His path to success was anything but easy though. In building his multi-billion dollar empire, he fought, negotiated and collaborated with those who threatened to destroy him. He pushed back against the Japanese who occupied his homeland during World War II. He fended off the Chinese triads wanting a piece of the pie and kept the communist government on mainland China at bay. By the 1960s, Stanley was awarded a monopoly on gambling in Macau by the Portuguese government which controlled the colony at the time. This gave him the exclusive right to operate casinos in the region and marked the beginning of his rise. The monopoly allowed Stanley to build his empire, including some of the most famous casinos in the world, such as Lisboa, Grand Lisboa and Win Macau. This helped to establish Macau as a major gambling destination and played a key role in the city's economic development. He is considered one of the most influential gambling industry figures ever. He had 17 kids, loved ballroom dancing, and amassed a family net worth of around $12 billion. This is how an alpaca farmer became a billionaire from a dick handler. Twiggy Forrest is Australia's richest man, worth more than $17 bucks. He rose out of the ashes to glory during the early 2000s mining boom. After earlier failures in the mining sector, Twiggy re-emerged in 2003 as the CEO of Autoskew Metals Group, a penny stock founded on the simple premise that China wanted more iron ore than Australian majors could export. China's economy and steel industry was in a rapid phase of growth. Twiggy knew he was onto something big. But by 2006, things weren't going according to plan. Twiggy still needed to raise another $2 billion to fund construction of his project. But every financing scheme he tried had failed. The last hope for Twiggy lay within the high-yield bond market. Only those with an appetite for risk would back him. Over three hectic weeks in the middle of 2006, two teams of Fortescue executives traveled to 14 cities across the world to try and execute Mission Impossible. The team had managed to navigate market turbulence and Wall Street trepidation to almost pull off the mission, but they were $150 million short. With a few hours left, Twiggy was spent and completely out of ideas. In the dying minutes, he remembered his old friend, Richard Handler, from US Investment Bank Jefferies. Twiggy gave Dick a bell and asked if he could kick in the remaining amount. After a long pause, Dick said, Andrew, I'd be happy to help. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're a new listener, we've got episodes coming out every Tuesday and Thursday morning. Can't wait to catch you in the next one, guys.